Hi, this is Tanya, and you're listening to Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. Hi, everyone, and welcome once again. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas, and I am thrilled to be with you today. Thanks for taking time to join me. It is Sunday, July 17th. Back in 1999, Eddie Stanky died at the age of 83. Now, you might ask, who is Eddie Stanky? Well, I'm glad you asked. According to an article in Time magazine, Eddie Stanky was a pugnacious, pennant-winning second baseman. He battled his way through 11 seasons for the champion Brooklyn Dodgers, Boston Braves, and the New York Giants. Branch Rickey, the Dodgers general manager at the time, said of him, he can't run, he can't hit, he can't throw. But if there's a way to beat the other team, he'll find it. So let me see if I got this right. Stanky couldn't run well, he couldn't hit very well, and he couldn't throw the ball very well. Now, I don't know much about baseball, but I'm pretty sure that that's just about all you do on a baseball team. But despite that, winning teams wanted him on their team playing second base. Why? Because if there was a way to beat the other team, somehow he would find it. Someone once observed that, a man who wants to do something will find a way. A man who doesn't will find an excuse. True that. Welcome to part two of our new sermon series titled, Not a Fan. Last week we talked about people who are just fans of Jesus and those who are true followers. Today, we're going to talk about finding a way to Jesus. And there are two scripture passages we're going to explore to help us in that. The first is Luke chapter 9, verses 23 to 27. And the second is Matthew 6, 33. As you'll see shortly, Jesus said we should seek the kingdom of God. But what is that kingdom? And how do you go about making it a priority in your life? We're going to answer those questions and more in just a couple of moments. But right now, would you join me in an opening word of prayer? Gracious Heavenly Father, we praise your holy name. Thank you for this amazing day. Thank you for all that have come to join today as we gather at your feet to hear from you. Thank you for this message. To you be all honor and glory. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Open your Bibles and or Bible apps to Luke chapter 9, verses 23 to 27, and follow along as I read. Then he said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but are yourself lost or destroyed? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God. Here we find Jesus telling his disciples that he's not looking for people who are looking for excuses, He's looking for people who want to do something for him so badly, they're going to find a way. Jesus declared right off the bat in verse 23, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Now, what exactly does that mean? Well, it means to regard something else to be more important than yourself. It means placing a higher priority on what Jesus wants than on what you want. In Matthew 6:33, the second scripture for today, during his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said it this way, But seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness, 
and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, a lot of folks look at Jesus' words here and think that there is some kind of a suggestion. In other words, if you want to seek the kingdom first, that's okay. But if you don't, well, that's okay too. But that is not what Jesus meant. He wasn't making a suggestion. These were marching orders. And how do you know that it wasn't a suggestion? Look again at verse 23. Because Jesus said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily and follow me. So if you're going to follow Jesus, your first priority is his kingdom and his righteousness. If those are not your priorities, then you're just a fan of Jesus and not a follower. In last week's sermon opener, I said that fans stick around as long as things go their way. And if things don't go their way, fans walk away. By contrast, I said that followers stick around and stick it out because it isn't about them. It's about the one that they follow, the one that they seek first in their lives, the one who is the priority in their lives. I also pointed out in that sermon that you can see fans in just about every sporting event. You know them. Fans are the ones that when their team is behind many, many points and there's 10 minutes left in the game, they head for the door. Why? Because they came to see their team win, not lose. The fans really weren't there for the team. The team was supposed to be there for them. But that didn't happen, so they walked away. They were not there for the team. So that makes me think, just what is the team for Christians? There are Christians out there who believe that all they need to be is committed to Jesus. They believe they don't need to be committed to anything else or anyone else. And I can understand that. We are called to deny ourselves, pick up our cross daily, and follow him. But Jesus said in Matthew 6.33 to seek blank above all else. Seek what? Come on, look that scripture up. Matthew 6.33, seek blank above all else. What is it? He said to seek his kingdom and his righteousness. And then in Luke 9.27, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God. Well, that tells me that some of those disciples who were there with Jesus in that first century were going to see the kingdom of God before they died. In Mark 9, 1, Jesus said pretty much the same thing. I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God arrive in great power. So that begs the question, when might that power have come? Well, after Jesus rose from the dead, he told his disciples in Luke 24, 49, stay here in the city, which was Jerusalem, until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. And in Acts 1.8, they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon them. So they'd been promised they would see the kingdom of God come with power, and on Pentecost, they received that power. That would mean the kingdom of God had come at Pentecost. So what was the kingdom of God that Jesus spoke of? Well, folks, if we could see each other right now, we'd be looking at each other. The kingdom of God is the church. We, you and I, we're the team. So part of picking up my cross daily and following Jesus is making the church a priority in my life. Now, if we, I wish we could see each other right now. This would be so cool, but I'm going to ask you to do it anyway, and I'm going to do it on my end. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you've ever heard someone say, I can be just as good a Christian without going to church. Now, that's a lie, of course. No one can be just as good a Christian without being part of a church. Granted, you can be a Christian without going to church and being part of a local congregation, but you can't be just as good a Christian without being part of the church. Let's put this in perspective. Ephesians 5, Paul writes to husbands on how they should treat their wives. 
And in that passage, he tells us how much Jesus loves the church. Paul wrote that he died to establish her. The church is his bride. Let's read Ephesians 5, 25 to 30. Husbands are told to love your wives. Here it is. Just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she should be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. Did you catch what that is saying? Jesus loves the church so much that he has invested himself in her. He is constantly working inside the church to mold us and shape us into the radiant holy bride that he desires us to be. He is not distant from us. He is constantly devoted to us to make us what he wants us to be. So if that's the type of priority Jesus has placed on his church, on his kingdom, shouldn't I be just as committed to making the church as successful and beautiful as I can? Shouldn't the church be my priority too? Christianity was never meant to be a Lone Ranger type of religion. That's why there's such emphasis on something that I would call one-anothering throughout the New Testament. Two weeks ago, in the last sermon of the Countercultural Christian series, I shared with you that I had a list of 61 times in the New Testament that we're commanded to each other or one another one another. And then I read you eight references that there were in the book of Romans alone. Well, here are some scripture passages that repeatedly say to us, and it includes a couple of those Roman scriptures. First in John 13, 34, love each other. Romans 12, 10, be devoted to one another. Romans 12, 16, live in harmony with one another. Romans 15, 7, accept one another. Galatians 5, 13, serve one another. Galatians 6, 1, share each other's burdens. Ephesians 4.32, be kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving to each other. And Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another. And folks, they go on and on and on. You can't do one anothering if there's not another one another around to do some anothering too. You can't do this one anothering all by yourself. You've got to have another one another there. Please don't ask me to repeat that. And quite frankly, you can't get more one another's together in one place than you have right in the middle of church. If we love Jesus, this body of believers is a high priority to us. If we don't love Jesus, then this church will be a place where we just sit. And that's what fans do at games. They just sit there. Well, yeah, they do cheer and they buy hot dogs and soft drinks and pretzels and funnel cakes, but that's about all they do. They paid good money for that seat and that's all they intend to do, just sit there. And then there are people who do the same thing at church. They just sit there. Now, why would you do that? Why would some people just sit there at church? Well, first, because that's what they've been trained to do. Generally, we gather and we all sit there facing the front of the room. We face the preacher and any others who are in the front. And if you sit like that long enough over periods of months and years, you begin to think that the church is a spectator sport that you're the cheering section and the preacher and the others in front of you are the performers. But as you grow in your faith, you begin to realize that isn't all there is about Christianity. There are times when you need to be involved in making things happen and work for Christ. But there's another problem. 
a lot of folks don't think they've got anything to contribute, and so they don't. Now, just as an experiment here, let me take a poll. I can't see your answers, but I'm just trusting you're going to answer along with me, okay? Here we go. How many of you would not be comfortable singing a special song in front of the church on a Sunday? How many of you can't play a musical instrument? How many of you did not know enough about computers to help with a computer team on Sunday? How many of you would not know how to teach a Bible class? Or how many of you would not know how to give a devotion? Well, you know, there you go. I'm sure that there are some that are listening today that may not feel qualified in those areas. Now, I'm just pointing these things out because I used to be there too. But in reality, there's a lot of folks that think like that. They think, I can't do this and I can't do that, so I don't have anything I can contribute. I guess I'll just sit here and cheer. That'll be my contribution. I've actually run into people who have told me that. Now, you remember what I said about Eddie Stanky, that fellow in the beginning? He can't run, he can't hit, and he can't throw. And there are people in church who figure they can't hit, they can't run, they can't throw. So they think, what difference could I make? If that's how Eddie Stanky had thought, nobody would have wanted him on their team. But you see, Jesus isn't looking for somebody with talent. He's looking for someone who will do whatever it takes to make a difference in this world for him and for his church. Jesus is not looking for folks who are capable. He's looking for the folks who are available. Remember back in verse 23, Jesus said, if any of you wants to be my follower, did you catch that? He said, any of you. And that's exactly what he had. Jesus had fishermen, tax collectors, prostitutes, and all kinds of uneducated and unworthy folks following him, all because he said, and he meant, any of you. It helps to understand what life was like back in the day. Jesus was a rabbi, and rabbis back then were a very special class of people. They knew the Bible inside and out. Most people did not end up being the students of rabbis. These candidates had to be a cut above the rest. They had to have an extensive knowledge of the scriptures, and they would be quizzed by their rabbi to find out how much they knew. Sometimes they'd be asked to recite an entire book of the Old Testament, or they might be asked to tell the number of times the name of the Lord was used in the 11th chapter of Leviticus. And as you can imagine, not just anyone could be a student of famous rabbis. Followers of those rabbis had to be a cut above the rest. But Jesus said any of you could be his follower, the fishermen, the tax collectors, the sinners, and the prostitutes. They didn't have to have an extensive knowledge of the Bible. They didn't need to be able to answer all the Bible questions on a TV game show. They didn't need to be able to recite all the books of the Bible or know the names of the 12 minor prophets. But there was one qualification that you had to meet to follow Jesus. And that is shown in verses 23 and 24 of the text. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Jesus was declaring that it isn't how much you know or how much you're skilled at. It is answering the question of how much are you willing to do to follow him. Let me bring this sermon to a close. Advertising tycoon Albert D. Lasker requested that one of his top executives move from California to the New York office. The man refused, so Lasker took a new tact. A few days later, he called the executive into his office and said, I have just made out my will. I've designated you to succeed me as the head of the business. This means that you will have to leave California when the time comes. Do you agree? Yes, the man answered. Will you do that for me? Yes, he said. 
Would you do that for me when I'm dead? Well, yes, repeated the executive. Then why, demanded Lasker, won't you do it for me while I'm alive? The executive capitulated. What made the difference for that executive? Why was he not willing to move before and then changed his mind? It was because he believed something was in the near future, something that would dramatically change his life for the better. And once he believed that, he changed his attitude toward making the move. So, beloved, let me ask you the question this way. If you knew that Jesus was going to come back in one year's time, how would you live your life differently? If you knew this world would end in the next 12 months, what would you do? Would you take on a ministry you've never considered doing before? Would you forgive that person you've hated for years? Would you talk to that friend or relative who you know would end up in hell? But perhaps the most important question we should consider is if you knew Jesus was coming back within a year and you haven't made your decision to be his child, would you make that decision today? Would you decide it's time to act on your faith that Jesus is the Son of God? Would you be willing to repent of your sins and turn your life towards Jesus? Would you be willing to make Jesus the Lord and Master of your life? And would you be willing to seal the deal by allowing yourself to be buried in the waters of Christian baptism? That's the question today for you, beloved. I pray you choose wisely. Thanks for joining me. God bless you. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.